Hello, hello. How are you folks? Uh, welcome to Decoded Podcast by Thredo. I'm your host, Sharad. Today, I have an amazing guest joining the show with more than 17 plus years of experience in customer engagement, customer support, customer experience. I'm stoked to bring the guest on the podcast. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Yeah, thanks, Sharad. I'm feeling great. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm stoked to have you. And uh, for folks who don't know about Peter, Peter, like I said, he's he's a veteran in, in the industry uh, with more than 17 plus years of experience. His understanding towards customer engagement journey and support, uh, you know, put him in a different, you know, wingspan uh, in a unique position. His leadership and the coaching mentality helped a lot of people accelerate you know uh, their careers in customer support and he worked for you know you know wide variety of companies from improbable huddle redgate you know so on and so forth and right now he's the you know he's he's building his own thing he's the founder of scale up mm-hmm. with two piece uh, yes and you know uh, i'm excited to dive into a little bit about scale up as well but uh, right off the bat 17 plus years of experience so talk to me about it what are some things uh, that you've been, you know, achieving throughout the 17, 17 plus years that you can't <clears throat> like, you know, what? I'm, I'm very proud of these moments. Sure. So, I mean, I could talk about some professional ones. Um, the ones that I guess I'm most proud of, though, are the members of staff that it is that I've worked with, um, where I really helped them to understand what their calling to a degree is. Um, but there was one chap that I worked with. He came into the support team. Um, and prior to joining, he'd been a freelance videographer, but he always had a good eye for design. Um, mm. So I ended up gently moving him um, to a more design stuff, and he ended up taking his career a lot further um, by moving into user experience. There's other people that guided into management roles, and they really loved that, and they've just, again, been like ducks on water. Other people into product manager roles, even um, software testing. Um, so I'm really proud of the impact that it is that I've had on individual members of staff's lives. That's what's really kind of like got me out of bed in the morning, per se. Um, but with regards to um, actual career achievements, um, so I have been in situations where um, the company that I've worked at has acquired another company, and I've had to basically pull in all of their support team um and kind of combine the teams as well as the resources launching new health centers things like that um and probable there was a game launch that was going on for our biggest customer um and in my first six months of probation i got kind of given this customer to look after as well as build a support team and a customer success team um and at the same time there was a hundred million dollars worth of investment riding on the successful launch of this customer's game um all within probation periods so that all ended up getting done ended up getting a successful launch out there because there was lots of kind of like almost throwing the train tracks down as the customer is just about to hit them from a development of the product standpoint Um, and like i said the 100 million investment was reliant on that coming in the door other things wow um there's stuff around kind of like the customer success metrics so um Mm. The basically doubling um, the revenue that came into the organization purely from um, the pre- pre- previous year. So let's say, for example, simple maths, mm. 10 million came in in year one, and the customer success team were able to renew that and grow that to 20 million. Um, uh, that was pretty phenomenal, pretty, pretty um, happy with that. There's times when customer, uh, my customer support team, we've managed to get 100% customer satisfaction um, for three months running. There's efficiencies that we've done around um, <clears throat> implement. So a while ago, when we um, implemented a chatbot at Huddle, um, we saw the number of emails decrease, which is what we anticipated anyway, because it's another channel that came in. But what we also were wanting was um, increased user engagement in the product as well. So we actually ended up helping out with user retention because people were able to get in-context help when it was that they needed it in the app versus coming out to email. So the overall retention stats end up going up too. So lots of things there. Um, 
Awesome. There's way, there's way more. I talk forever, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hundred percent sure. You know, the list goes on and on. Yep. Uh, I want to dive a couple of things that you know that you know, that you answered about uh, you putting people in positions that they have successful careers. Uh, and, you know, partly, you know, uh, you have that coaching mindset and the mentoring, yep. uh, mentorship uh, you know, attitude towards like, you know, helping other people. So talk to me about that impact or that, that mindset that helped you, you know, grow your, you know, you as a person in your career. When did, where, who did you like, you know, who made you realize that, you know, it's, it's about like helping other people that's, that, that helps you like an individual. So talk to me about that, that mindset. So for me, um, I wouldn't say that I came from a privileged background or anything like that. So everything that I've had in life, I've had to kind of fight for. Um, so I've always been, I guess, the champion of the little guy, if you will. Um, mm. And I have a drive in me professionally that's enabled me to fight for everything that it is I've got but I've also been quite lucky with regards to when I fought for it I've more often than not got it but there are people that haven't or people that are too scared to fight for it so I've always wanted to because I enjoy helping people otherwise I wouldn't really be in a support type role um I've always wanted to make those anyone else's lives easier um and of course it makes me feel good when it is I feel I'm helping people so it's almost like a win-win situation um so i mean i credit um one of the best bosses that i ever had was a chap called stuart cochran who was the chief technology officer at huddle and mm. i famously um really don't like writing things down because i've got a really good memory um <clears throat> and mm. he recognized what my strengths and weaknesses were and worked with me on them to the point where when it was that him and i were having one-to-ones he would be writing the one-to-one notes I wasn't doing it or anything like that. And he would then share them with me to move forward. So that really started to teach me, okay, start to learn and look at people's strengths and weaknesses, work with them on it. And the amount of time that you can spend <clears throat> trying to increase the, I guess, um, skill set on a particular weakness. Mm. If you put the same amount of time into something that you're already great at, you end up 10xing the thing that it is you're great at. Um, <clears throat> so it's where it is you're putting your effort into. And I love that. I love being able to really see how it was shaping me and how it was increasing my own skill set as well as with the people that were posted into me. That's awesome. I'm just like writing down some things. Uh, all it takes is one person, right? One person to say that I believe in you. And yeah. uh, in, in the same time, all it takes is one person for us to like say that Hey, I see something in you, and you you can excel. So it's it, it it's like this, uh, you know, two way cycle that works, you know, both ways. You know, uh, amazing to hear that. And let's talk about like you know scale up. So it's, mm. it's you're, you're a consultant. You talk you 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 know you you do coaching. You help people companies set OKRs with you know with the sub, yeah. sub customer support, customer experience, customer engagement journey, mm. uh, consulting. So after working for more than what, like 17, 15 plus years, you recently, mm -hmm. you know, a year back, you started this consulting. So mm -hmm. what is like to be working for yourself? You know, what is like the, the consultant uh, journey of, uh, you know, someone like you in support versus someone who is like, you know, worked at head of support, director of support role. So talk to me about the differentiation between the two paths. Sure. So for me, um, one of the reasons why I started up my consultancy was um, when I worked at Improbable, um, they wanted to combine my role, which was director of customer engagement, with um, VP of business development. And I didn't really want to go ahead and do that. Um, they offered me to be general manager of a new business unit, and I didn't really want to do that either because <clears throat> I didn't really believe in the product that the business unit was responsible for. Um, and I didn't think it right <clears throat> to be the general manager of that business unit and not believe in the product, mm. just not not call to anyone else that was in that business unit. So I took my very healthy redundancy payment. And um, that's, of course, when the tech market crashed worldwide. So there were very few mm. roles around in tech. 
and there were even fewer roles at a senior level. So I did a little bit of contracting to see <clears throat> how it was that I could kind of like bring in some additional money and ride it out, if you will, to then look for another full-time position. But then I had this epiphany where I flipped the concept of con contracting and cons into consulting because you're effectively doing the same thing, but at a different rate in that rather than being charged out on an hourly basis, you can as a consultant charge on an outcome basis. So what problem is it that you're really looking to solve for someone and how important is that problem to them, i.e. what it is that they pay for? So it's actually been really quite liberating <clears throat> and <clears throat> it's, it's fraught with anxiety at the same time because you're always looking to understand and try and get the next client right. to, to kind of like keep your mm -hmm. velocity and your deal flow going. But um, I'd honestly recommend that if anyone kind of like has an itch to scratch, they should look to at least do some <clears throat> coaching, consulting on the side of their head of support, director of support role, get involved, start building a brand name for themselves with regards to the knowledge that they have, interact with people. Because then if you do find that you wanna kick off and do your own thing, then you're in a much better position to start from. You're not starting from zero. Mm, interesting. Uh, I like the part. Like I think consulting, it's uh, you know you're the own you're own your boss, and you yeah. you set the rules. You have you have your own things, and I think there is a there is a fire in a belly type of situation where mm. you have to chase the things that you keep yourself. Unlike the yep. other, you know, uh, there is no right or wrong. Like, if, you know, it depends on the individual who wants to pick a path. So, uh, and yeah, talk to me about I mean, like, you know, your. I was, yeah. I was just going to say when you when you think about being <clears throat> someone someone's full time employee, um, mm -hmm. if you're a head of support in the UK, <clears throat> you're probably on somewhere between sixty thousand and a hundred and ten thousand a year depending on the team size company or funding all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff now the amount of saves that you can make for customers from bad experience turned right. into goods and referrals is worth exponentially more than 60 to 110k for that company um on a yearly basis so what you're actually doing is <clears throat> selling yourself right. at an hourly rate to someone else mm. who is effectively reaping the benefits of your work um, and then some because even though equity sharing is great <clears throat> startups people having um, shares and what have you generally speaking unless it's a Facebook or a Google the average employee is not going to get life-changing money right. from it whereas they can have a mansion in the super yacht if they're lucky they'll be able to pay off half their mortgage <laughs> so being in a situation where you're taking your skill set and applying that elsewhere and being your own boss mm. like i said i really really love it's not for everyone um and like i said at times you do have the anxiety of where the next client's coming from and all that sort of yeah. jazz and it's it's painful going out into almost sales mode to try and pitch yourself to people um <clears throat> but <laughs> it's it's still great having the freedom to do what it is you want and turn work down if you don't want right. to do it <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I think it, it's about choice. It's about yeah. having what you want to do versus what you've been set to do, right? There's the, mm. the, those two are two different things. Uh, uh, talk to me about, like, again, uh, scale up. Like, what are some services you offer? And if you can break me break it down to, like, you know, mm. even few details, you know, your work with a couple of clients like Made.com, Copus, you know, what are some things yep. that you did? Share, share share the success stories of you know, your sure. journey. So, I mean, frankly, with 17 years experience in startups, where one year in startup is like seven in a corporate, almost dog years, um, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot <laughs> that it is that um, I can turn my hand to. Chances are I've seen a bit of it all. Um, so what I've decided to kind of, I guess, focus in on as value props even though there's a bunch of other things I can do, is teaching <clears throat> a methodology called situational leadership, which is department agnostic. Um, so it's a management framework that enables you to effectively manage people 
and get them on track, basically. And um, you end up with more motivated, more engaged employees um, through using it. I've used it every single where, place I've worked and it's been fantastic. So I run a workshop on that as well as one-to-one coaching with the managers in question who attend to it. Um, there's another one that I call um, Rhythms of Business. So <clears throat> that's more uh, a kind of company-wide and then percolating down into department-wide um, operating rhythm. So for example, these are the things that you need to have in place to be a little bit more of a grown-up company. So for example, mm. a few weeks before Q1 starts, <clears throat> you start to have a bit of a planning session. You get all your retros in um, to see what's happened in the previous quarter. Then you go into the planning week <clears throat> where you discuss um, what to actually do about the things that went wrong in the last quarter because you've already kind of produced the collateral associated with the review if you were um it stops people fighting about he said she said whatever because you're now just tangibly looking at how do we stop doing this how do we move forward um you're looking at the kind of okrs as well um and talking about okrs for me they need to be good okrs um and as a Example of a bad OKR, in my opinion, is just increase sales by X because you're not bounding that to say, okay, you could just hire more people to do that. Now, that's not necessarily a brilliant OKR. If it was increased conversion rate by X by limiting Y or something like that, doing more with what it is you've got right now. Um, right. OKRs should be something which really kind of forces you as a leader to put your head above the parapet and stop and look now and again to see the direction that you're going rather than getting stuck in the business as usual stuff. Mm. So there's a whole okay. rhythm flows. Yeah. The whole rhythm flows from that. Um, there's another one around employee progression frameworks. So mm. how is it that you actually create a bought in employee progression framework for different roles in the organization and then marrying that up. Mm-hmm. So everyone looks kind of like roughly the same. So when you have a leveling across the board, mm. of course, a level two support engineer is not going to be the same as a level two personal marketing because the role is different. But the idea is that you look to kind of have impact that's the same, but in different areas. <clears throat> so you end up with something that's fairly cohesive, organizational wide. And then there's the coaching as well. So um, little things or examples of successes. I mean, we can talk about made.com, but um just after I started their initial engagement, um, that company went um, into liquidation and they basically went out, ran out of money. Um, so we weren't able to follow through um, exactly on what it was we were looking to doing. But per the um, recommendation on my LinkedIn chat that I was working with said that the teams that I worked with after doing the initial workshop with them were super motivated, super engaged about creating a path forwards for them um, from what it was they were going to do there. Um, yeah. I've mentored the head of customer operations at Optimus Electric Vehicles. Um, he joined mm. um, in that department as employee three, um, and I was mentoring him all the way. And then I came in to actually help him when the team was around about 70 in size. And when I left, it was about 110. Um, he's now moved off to join his own startup and he's um, chief operating officer at this other startup but he basically said the advice and coaching that i gave him was some of the fastest professional learning that he's ever had in his life to go and upskill him and moving forwards um also still doing some work but on the other side with octopus electric vehicles so rather than the customer operations team um i'm actually now coaching their um, head of engineering. No. Oh. So totally awesome. transitioned across to the to the engineering side too. So yeah, fairly fairly shift. agnostic. Yeah. Yeah. But again, when I first joined Octopus, um, they had um, one of one of one of the hardest things really is looking at forecasting with regards to how many members of staff will need at given points in time when we're looking at going forward, depending on tickets and all these sorts of things. And if you're in a standard SaaS solution, for example, you can't just take the number Mm. of seats that the sales team sell because not all of those seats are utilized at a given time. It's a little bit like airplanes or gyms where you need to have an overbooking. And then 
see what the actual average users look like um, and percentage of those that hit support, so on and so forth. Um, but they had um, a forecasting model that was in place that was very, very intricate, and they'd broken down into types of inquiry, reasons why it was that people contacted them. And then they had right. uh, down to almost like the minute how long on average it took to solve those particular things. And then they started to right. kind of try and extrapolate that up to see, okay, from a forecasting perspective, what are we going to need? And it was good and there's lots of number crunching, but it was consistently wrong. Um, <laughs> because um, data changes, sometimes things get more efficient, you don't update the model. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the biggest things I started to do with them was introducing them to a mindset of, okay, if you want to do this quite fairly quickly and understand, don't look forwards, look mm -hmm. backwards. So turn around and say, okay, divide up the entire inquiries you've had, how many you've had. Don't look at the now, it's taken about how many it's taken. What's the rough finger in the air percentage split of your time? And then take like yeah. the last few months to see what your actual throughput was. And then based on your sales mm. demands, map that to what the sales looks like is coming in and then extrapolate that up because you've actually got empirical data where you have done stuff yeah. and it's a lot quicker than doing the individual task minute by minute, blah, 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 blah. Wow. You do a lot. In short. Yes. <laughs> like I said, 17 years, chances are I've seen a bit of everything. I know, right? Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're like, a, like a walking wisdom uh part i would say anyway a yeah. uh, couple of follow-ups from the from from you know your answer one you specifically mentioned about okrs you know i think mm. the wrong okr is saying that hey i want to x my you know sales or i, I want mm -hmm. to increase x percentage of like whatever yep. it is right like i think that's a very in you know direct way so talk to me about like what are, what are where do people so first of all everybody have okrs in in this age and you know day 2023 pretty much every startup will you know every company will have certain goals and all that but you like in your words setting the right ones are important right so talk to mm -hmm. me about uh where one should you know a company should you know maintain certain number of okrs that actually moves the needle and where do they stumble? Like, where do, where do they make mistakes when they set up OKRs? All over the place. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, <laughs> mistakes happen everywhere. Um, so for me, um, you need to have a set of OKRs that are kind of dictated by the executive team um, that are pretty clear. Um, they still need to be vague enough to basically encompass every single department. Um, otherwise, if there's a x sales number on at the executive level then that almost feels like it's a sales alone target versus anything else so they need to be generic enough where every single department can feel that they've got ownership over a part of that okr and then as you move down the okrs for the next department below that need to be feeding up into that one so you end up with this like a percolation effect where everything triggers down but then goes back up and where that then comes down to the individual member of staff, it's like, okay, what is it that they're doing to contribute to their team's OKR, which then helps to go to the department's OKR, which then helps to go to that part of the organization's OKR, which then goes to the overall organization's OKR. And to me, you have more motivated staff when it is that they can tangibly see how it is that the work that they are doing contributes to the company's mission and how it is that it's moving the company forward. If people sit there and aren't entirely sure why they're doing something and what value it's bringing to the organization, they very quickly start to become disengaged and disenfranchised. Right. Uh, and uh, when you say it should come from executive, executives, uh, and if they have wrong direction, how do people course correct when it comes to OKRs, in your opinion? Um, well, the board should be looking at it for a start, um, but then boards have been wrong before as well. Look at the recent saga with OpenAI. Um, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking, you should have a midway through quarter checkpoint to see how it is that you're progressing towards OKRs and goals for that quarter. Has something yeah. derailed you? 
generally speaking, something always derails you because no one's got a crystal ball where they can view into the future. Something happens that ends up like derailing one, two more of the OKRs and you just need to course correct right. um, and adjust appropriately. That doesn't mean, in my opinion, going on like a, a full wholesale pivot because chances are you haven't necessarily given something enough chance to bed in, but it might mean tweaking it. Um, you don't necessarily want to go blindly into the night believing what you've done before when you've got some initial evidence that suggests the contrary. But just because that initial evidence suggests the contrary doesn't mean you throw it away. I mean, again, if you look at Fortnite, the game, Fortnite is an incredibly successful um, RPG game, right? Sure. Where people are playing or what have you. That's the thing. I think it's RPG, that's the term. Um, <clears throat> but when that was launched initially, it didn't have the millions of players that it does now. They had this thing. They ended up taking um, the whole kind of like battle royale type whatever um, mode from PUBG. And after iteration, after iteration, after iteration, it then became the Fortnite that we knew as and when it became and blew up and became super, super successful. But they put a thing out there. If they just said, okay, things are looking a little bit wrong and not tweaked, they would have ditched it. We would have never had Fortnite. So don't just pivot fundamentally at the first sign of trouble. Evaluate it, make the necessary course corrections, and then move forwards. And again, if they just continued on the same path, we wouldn't have the Fortnite that we right. have today either. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I like that. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you know customer engagement journey, customer experience, and support. Mm. Uh, one of the things I you know I really kind of I'm, I'm fascinated about is how do uh, support leaders improve customer experience journey mapping? Like, what is something that they should do uh, to improve improve that experience itself? Any any tips there? Yeah. So. <clears throat> first thing that you really need to do is make sure that your team has good identity internally. Um, more often than not, support teams are often perceived to be um, cost centers. So a necessary evil within the organization. Um, and it's true, but it's also not. So again, <clears throat> through doing some little things, you can start to say, okay, ROI of doing this is X, ROI of doing this is Y. So it's not to pitch into the organization, I want to have a chatbot to do X. The ROI is saved incoming support agents from like an OPEX perspective. And so this is the amount you're gonna save by implementing this. So you're talking more about the cost savings versus and the return on investment versus anything else. Secondly, support are in a great situation where they're often a little bit more technical than customer success, which means they're often a little bit more, um, they often like handling data and playing around with different data sets a bit more. They're more technically able, especially if it's raw stuff coming from a SQL server or anything or Tableau or any of that jazz than customer success. So customer support is in a prime position to act as a true voice of customer center for your organization but you can't do that unless you've built up the respect uh, <clears throat> and like the credence if you will of the team by being um general and by that i mean salespeople when they complain to product or engineering or anyone else they're always concerned about the last big deal that they lost because x wasn't present or y wasn't present with the support team <clears throat> you've got if you're this center of customer information you can take all the information that's coming in from support tickets as well as coming from customer success, MPS, any other surveys that are going out, amalgamate that and present a reasoned business case driven in logic mm -hmm. and data as to why products and engineering and the organization should go and do X for you. Right. So you can't do that and start until you start to change the perception and the reputation mm -hmm. um, and respect of the team and move it away from being a cost center to something that is capable of acting like your voice of the customer. Product-led growth is a massive mm -hmm. thing right now. Um, how is the organization going to get the feedback about what product-led growth is working and what isn't? Comes through support and customer success right. or um, forms on the website. 
But if it's just forms on the website, it's a snapshot of certain users. By doing customer successor support as well and acting as that center of customer voice, you've got a more holistic data set to work from mm. when you're looking at improving product growth. But again, you can't even do That's that if the organization just treats you as a cost center. Right. You What you said is absolutely true. I think, uh, you know, customer support teams, experience teams, they are the... They are the ears of a company, right? They 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 are mm-hmm. the ones who listen. And yep. uh, talk to me about listening. Let's talk about listening for a second. Uh, what do you think about active listening? What is the role of active listening? You know, a, a support leader should as a skill should develop. I think it's incredibly important. I mean, um, when it's something that you have to do, in my experience every single time you get the hairiest issue escalated to you. Um, You have to actively listen to what the customer problem is, empathize. Um, One of the tricks that it is I've always used um, in response is, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, And it's a little bit of a weasel word, a weasel phrase, because what you're actually doing is yes you're acknowledging you're empathizing the customer but you're not actually admitting any blame on the company but the customer client Mm. still hears the word sorry and it starts to kind of like bring them back down but i then say i'm sorry you feel that way just to make sure that i fully understand the problem or the situation you're talking about i then repeat it to them i wouldn't be able to do that if i didn't actively listen to what it was they were saying to me in the first place and that repetition, that summary back to them in your own words does two things. Firstly, it proves to the customer that you did listen to them and you start to build some trust that you're someone that they can work with to get this thing resolved. And more importantly, it clarifies to you that you have actually understood. So you don't go off half cocked trying to fix something that isn't actually broken. I think the fastest way to build trust is just paying attention to, you know, yeah. a customer and you know, listening yep. to them. That's it. Right? That's where you, we, you, we, we deploy empathy. We can deploy uh, a sense of uh, relatability. Like, Hey, I'm, I hear you. I'm in your shoes. Uh, mm. You know, I'm here to help. Like you repeat that back to back again. Uh, I like yep. that part. Uh, the other thing as well is you need to give your frontline staff agency. Because, and by that, I mean, the last thing that a client wants to hear is, oh, I need to go talk to my manager about that, right? So give the people on the front line some agency, give them some wiggle room with regards to what it is they can and can't do. So if it's a question of giving, being able to give out a discount or a refund on something, give them some margins, some leeway to operate within that they can just do it off their own back straight away. Um, stops the escalation happening in the first place. As a manager, you don't have to deal with it. You could look at a report later on to see kind of like if someone's giving too much away or anything like that. And it makes the person on the front line feel more empowered to fix it. And if they can and fix it, they're going to take the ownership off it and move forwards. And the customer's happier because they don't have to explain what's wrong another time around to another person. And... Uh, what kind of so when it comes to the you know giving the frontline workers an agency right like you know talk to me about the level of training uh, that people should invest in, in, in you know act, actively listening is such an important skill like you said uh, and for some it, it it comes with patience you know by nature they they are like that but uh, not everybody so. Talk to me about the training bit of active listening. What should people do to train their agents, their support reps, uh, even support leaders, uh, the agents, and what is the level of training? And what do you see like any interesting patterns that really work well in your experience? Yeah, so um, you can have um, QA. So people go and review over tickets, phone calls, Good ones are played to the team, bad ones are played to the team. Um, mm. With the idea being the bad ones aren't there to shame people. They're there as listening opportunities and learning opportunities. Um, 
I always used to do that with incoming tickets and the customer rating as well. So rather than taking things at random, which were done as well, we specifically looked at what we called happy pandas and sad pandas. So happy pandas were obviously good ratings. Mm. Sad pandas were those that were not so good and almost did like a bit of a post like, <laughs> I like yeah. that a lot. Happy panda, sad panda. <laughs> yeah. That's um, colorful. Yeah, so did a little bit of post-mortem on them. And ultimately, yeah. um, most people in the world, in my experience, don't want to be assholes. So if they ever get to that moment where they're not being the best on a customer call, the one thing you have to say to them is, okay, you've done that. If you were the customer, would you have liked that response? It's what I call kind of holding up the mirror. And the right. more you start it's to simple, train, yeah. it's that simple shift. It's that it's yeah. very there is a thin line, right? Putting yeah. yourself in their shoes, looking, you know, uh, like thinking from their perspective. That actually changes uh, a lot of what we go through. Totally, because it's very easy, especially in support, and if it's a bad time. You could be inundated with calls. You could be thinking about just wanting to leave. You want to get home. You want to de-stress. And you could be a little bit short with someone. But if you have people constantly thinking, okay, if I was short with myself as the customer, how would I feel about that? Um, then it starts to change the behavior, starts to change the mindset. But again, you can't get people to care about that unless they see how their performance and their OKRs translate directly up and correlate to the company's goals. Otherwise, they don't care. Right. Mm. So if you look at kind of, I guess, in the US, whenever it is you have to phone up um, the call center for your medical insurance, chances are it's a horrendous experience because the person that you're speaking with doesn't actually care in the slightest and they don't see how what it is they're doing is correlating up to the main health um, insurer's company goals <laughs> right right i like it a lot i like the red, you know sad panda happy panda <laughs> mm. that, that, that is super colorful uh let, let's talk about growth uh mm. the company right uh how do you think customer experience or having this customer centric approach really helps a company grow like what are some measures uh company you know, executives even like support leaders should take care of and they elevate company's growth like what do you think the relation between customer support experience and growth teams uh, are in general i think i think there's so many and it really kind of depends on the industry that you're in one that i've never really taken a lot of stock in is nps because it feels as often like a vanity metric um how often are you going to recommend Microsoft operating system to your friend or colleague? Probably not a lot. Right. Don't tend to go to my to the pub and chat with my friends about operating systems. I might if I was a software engineer, but <clears throat> it's generally not happening. So I look right. at um, how satisfied customers are using the product. So things around system usability scoring. Um, did it actually help them achieve what it was that they bought the thing to enable them to do? Um, yeah. How easy was it for them to do that? So I'm old enough that I remember Microsoft Word back in the day when they released the god awful ribbon that they had along the top, where it just hid a number of the different things that you wanted to do with it. And then to yeah. combat that, they brought Clippy, little paperclip thing, and saying, it looks like you want to do X. <laughs> And it would try and guide you, but it was horrendous. So, yeah, I might recommend a word processing doctor, a friend, who knows. But the user experience of it was awful. So getting feedback about that, um, that can really help user retention and improve the um, virality, if you will. So how quickly something goes viral. Um, mm. Take a look at Slack. Um, Slack is super interesting in that, as a company, they were actually going out and trying to build a video game, but they built an internal messaging tool for the teams to message each other during the day. And then because of its ease of use, because of its simplicity, because of the hooks that it had to different things, it ended up just absolutely dominating and taking over 
the internal communications market as well as external because you can use Slack groups externally and all this sort of stuff. So it just totally disrupted based on its ease of use and simplicity. Hmm. So being able to grow and have an easy, good product, um, frankly, you shouldn't need support to be helping out a bunch of your users. So if you've got if you've got a tool, software, whatever, where 50% of your users are having to touch support in order to actually mm. use it, that's insane. There's a massive, massive mm. cost center there and you're doing something wrong. Mm. Again, if you look at Google Docs, however mm. many millions of users of that daily on a daily basis, they're not all contacting support. Yeah, Google support is terrible and you probably can't actually find it, but the point still stands in that you have millions of users using a product effectively. And what you can do from a support standpoint is take the feedback from those that contact you and have it tweaked into the main product to enable you to have product-led growth without the massive OPEX of a huge support team because your product isn't understandable by anyone. Mm. Unless, of course, you're looking at simple, big-ticket enterprise sales where you sell a few a year sort of thing. Then the models mm. are very different and you need to be thinking more about, okay, what are we doing with regards to things that are on prem, customization, professional services, blah, 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 blah. So it really depends on what your organization is and what, what it is that you're, what vertical you're in to me. Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, I want to ask this couple of questions to, before we wrap up, uh, one, one of the questions I have in mind, you know, when I was actually researching you, uh, about like you know your experience uh, you have a knack for uh, teaching people coaching people helping you know support leaders to uh, become better leaders right mm -hmm. and and also at the same time help them achieve business goals so mm -hmm. in your opinion in your perspective how should a support leader unlock customer success in the right way so first of all, you need to ask yourself what customer success is um, because that's going to be different for every single organization. Customer success could mean few touches on a ticket. It could be high touch. It could be something else. So you need to basically set, set what I call it is kind of like um, define the sand pit. And what I, what I mean by that is you work with your team and you tell them what the area of the sand pit is in which they have to play. Anything outside of that play area, they need to come to you for advice. But when you define the constructs of the sand pit and what the goal is, anything within that they can play around and do. So that starts to foster <clears throat> idea sessions of, okay, team, we have X to achieve. How do we do that? Get everyone kind of involved. Um, Make sure that you're actively coaching people to speak up. If you've got some shy people in the room, make sure it's a safe space. Coach them to basically tell, make them realize that it is a safe space. Get the ideas of the team flowing up. Teams make the best decisions, of course. As the leader, you need to decide on one, <clears throat> but getting the input from your team and then you telling them why it is you decided on X pathway means that they understand the decision-making process and they're bought in. From that, you can then start to see who people are going to be like natural leaders, those that are empathetic, those that champion the ideas of others, those that iterate on some of them are more individual contributors, all that sort of stuff. Hmm. I think it's it's more about empowering, uh, right? Yeah. I think uh, opening doors, empowering, and uh, really letting people do, like you said, I think that's a very fascinating fact as well. Like most of the people, they don't want to be themselves. So if you yeah. help people become themselves, uh, I think that's, I think the biggest way to, uh, you know, biggest, the right way to like, you know, lead. Uh, yeah. I mean, situational leadership is basically that where you, you, you manage someone based on their ability for a task. So it's very task specific. Sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's common that people are super good in, um, individual contributor roles. And they then get promoted into a team lead, but then they've never done management before. 
and they're awful because they don't have any management skill set. They're being left to their own devices to flounder because the perception is, oh, they were good at this, therefore they're going to be good at this. It's not the case. So again, the people that have pushed into management, when I've asked them about, I'd be like, how's it going with your tickets? Because I know that they're going to be perfectly fine. But when it comes to the one-to-ones and things, I'll be very, very directional. So it's like, have you done this? Have you done that? Do this, do this. To give them the basis of a framework to start off with because they've never done it before. So it's matching the support that someone needs for that task versus anything else. So again, people have been in situations where they've started to do something um, at work and they'd be like, wow, I've got no idea what I'm doing here. I'm getting no support from my manager. Managers should be being directive. Conversely, there have also been times where it's like, why isn't the manager getting off my back? I know how to do this. That's where the manager is being directive when the person is actually incredibly self-sufficient, micromanaging. So you need to match the management style appropriately based on the capability of the task. So there's that empowerment when you and the employee knows that they're over here and totally proficient, but you're giving them correct support when they're in a stage of them not being proficient to enable them to grow to be proficient. Mm, interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all about like, you know, opening doors and uh, really like putting people in the right right path, right? I like the situational leadership, the, the term mm. as well. Uh, let's, I think, you know, we're, we're about time, but I want to ask this about coaching and mentorship. Uh, mm. Generally, when people come to you for coaching and mentorship, what do they seek? What is something that see that, that surprise you? Like, wow, this is a, this is like so obvious, but they're still seeking a part. That's one, one, one part of the question. The other part is what is an obvious? non-obvious way, non-obvious things that, you know, uh, leaders seek when it, when, when they come to you for coaching. So there's two that really spring to mind off the top of my head that are kind of intertwined. Um, so the first one really is to be a better manager or leader. Um, they want to kind of up their game there. Um, it costs Mm. time and money to hire new people in when you lose people. So, keep the ones that it is you've got, manage the ones out that you <clears throat> don't have any time for because they're not doing any work. Um, and then the second one around that is becoming um, less of a bottleneck um, uh, within the team. Sure. And the reason that those are kind of joined hand in hand is there's obviously situational leadership. So how you manage people and keep them there. Um, And then once you and them get to the point where it is you believe they're proficient, then you should look to hand over and kind of delegate and so on and so forth. You can't, what you've often had is you've delegated in the past. Someone's never done that before. You've thought they've done a terrible job. Therefore, you've just taken it back off them. So they haven't gone through that situational leadership path to get them to the stage where they are capable of doing it. The other thing um, that I always see managers and leaders do is apart from that, be reluctant to delegate because they always be like, well, I can do this better. Um, I had it earlier on in my career where I delegated some kind of monthly reporting to one of my um, deputies and I didn't like the way it was done because um, from a aesthetics perspective, it wasn't exactly how it was that I did it. But I then had this epiphany right. where it's like, okay, is the data there? Is it viewable? Mm. Okay, cool. So rather than just saying, all right, fine, I'm going to do it from going forward. What I was able to take confidence from was the person had got all the correct data that was required. It was just more around how it was that it was presented. So there are multiple ways to skin a cat, right? You you can do things more than just one way. So from that epiphany that I had, rather than just taking it back, I was like, okay, You've done great with regards to getting all the data, but here's how it is you should look to present it, and here is why. So it wasn't making him do a carbon copy of what it was that I would have done. It was more explaining, okay, here's why you want certain metrics to stand out. Um, 
Mm. And the analogy that I always use for this is surfing. In that if you're teaching someone to surf and you're the world's best surfer, you could be flawless and be doing half pipes and all that sort of stuff. When someone's first able to surf, they're going to look like a gazelle on a board, right? They're not going to look anywhere near as polished as you are, who's the professional. But, but the main goal of actually surfing is happening, right? So you look to get to the point of what the actual main goal is, get someone capable of doing that, then refine and finesse the technique to get to the point where they don't look like a gazelle on a surfboard. So people often don't take the time to do that. And on the initial thing, they're like, stuff it, I'll do it myself because I can do X and do it faster. Mm. But you're never really taking them on that journey. And if you don't, you just become the bottleneck for everything. Right. I love that. I love the analogy right there. I love the surfing analogy. Oh, my God. Peter, I think we can go on and on uh, forever. I loved uh, the conversation so far. And I think probably, you know, I think we should bring you back again on the podcast sure. talk about it at, at length about just you know coaching leadership uh, those angles of you know support and general like you know generally not just support you know any leader mm. so yeah l- love talking to you peter any any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap up uh, it's been great being on here um hello to the listeners and thank you for listening if you get this far and um if you did want to chat in more with me in person, find me on LinkedIn or my website, which is www.scale-up with two P's dot UK. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all the links in the show notes as well for folks. Cool. And make it thanks, Shira. for you know, people to like, you know, reach out. But thanks, Peter. Appreciate you for taking time. Again, loved the no. conversation, like setting OKRs how to unlock customer success in the right way. You know, a lot about, lot of takeaways for, for support leaders to learn about leadership, uh, making the right decision, decisions. And, you know, I think, I think the situation leadership is something that is the biggest takeaway uh, mm. people should like, you know, follow. So that's a, you know, it's an amazing episode. Uh, I didn't even know that, you know, it was almost like an hour. So <laughs> it felt like <laughs> five minutes. Uh, cool. That was, that was awesome. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate you. And stay tuned, no guys. Problem, we have Thank amazing, you. awesome. Uh, support leaders like Peter joining the show in the coming weeks and excited and stoked to you know put the put these episodes out uh, but yeah take care and cheers for now thanks so